You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. Lesson 12 on Human Rights and the Right of Conscience, Section 17. Pope John Paul II was a great champion of human rights. He spoke of human rights very often throughout his many travels and in his many discourses. Rights will protect the dignity of the person against those threats that we spoke of earlier. He has been criticized sometimes for the frequent and emphatic use of rights discourse, but we must understand why and how he uses the discourse about rights. I want to comment in this lesson upon why he employs rights discourse. Why rights? Consider the context of rights. Perhaps even think about the definition of a right, the purpose of these rights, and their order, and conclude with a sense of the drama of rights that we see in John Paul II's pontificate. Why rights? He speaks about rights in this first encyclical and continues to speak about human rights. Why he does so should be perfectly clear from what we have read hitherto. But he reminds us in this section, this century as a century of great calamities, of great devastations, not only material ones, but moral ones, indeed perhaps above all moral ones, one cannot fail to see that this century has so far been one in which people have provided many injustices and suffering for themselves. Has this process been decisively curbed? In any case, we cannot fail to recall at this point with esteem and profound hope for the future the magnificent effort to give life to the United Nations organization, an effort conducive to the definition and establishment of man's objective and inviolable rights. End of quote. That's important to see, man's objective and inviolable rights. That's what John Paul is talking about and why he is hopeful not within illusions, but that it's a good sign that there's a commitment of ratification by almost all present-day states, that there should be a guarantee of human rights throughout the world and a fundamental principle of work for any welfare for mankind. Now, after just considering what modern man is afraid of, and this notion of the crisis of our time and those signs of the crisis of our time, that we fear the recoil of technology against ourselves, political tyranny and violence, human degradation. This effort then to establish a definition and establishment of man's objective and inviolable rights would serve us well to challenge political tyranny above all, to establish limits and aims for human progress. So John Paul II wants to rest 
the true meaning of human rights from those liberal theorists who preach freedom without any objective term or the unbounded freedom to act as one pleases or a long laundry list of desires named rights. That's not what John Paul II is talking about. But that abuse of the term does not take away its proper use. John Paul II thinks the church's mission is closely linked with this effort to define human rights and to defend them. Because those areas of concern in Gaudium et Spes, family, education, economics, politics, and peace, can be tied to rights if properly understood. John XXIII and Pope Paul VI proclaimed peace is a work of justice. Justice establishes or protects peace. A just peace requires a strong and robust sense of fundamental rights based on the dignity of human life and respect for conscience, the vitality of the family, and the place of work. These are the inviolable rights. This is not a treatise on rights. We can find that in other documents. John Paul is speaking from experience. The Pope from Poland will talk about rights to lay out precisely the outrage of communism and Nazism in their destructive attack upon the dignity of the person, family, and religion, he was still looking at communist oppression of religion and the family in his home country. Why would someone deny him that attempt to explain why rights are important? Well, he goes on to say that torture, terrorism, concentration camps, Discrimination still exists throughout the world. So the measure of objective and inviolable rights should be brought to bear against these programs, ideologies, and activities. It's not the last word. The doctrine of rights, though, is an external expression of the integral humanism, that full, whole truth about man that comes from faith and reason. And rights can provide a provisional standard for development. When we talk about the welfare of man, person and community, as John Paul II says, that is proclaimed by humanitarian programs. Let's hold the world and others to that proclamation. As a matter of fact, he says, it's this disregard for objective and inviolable rights that has led to political violence, tyranny, the degradation of man, and the loss of a purpose for technology. So the charter was written to depart from the, war, the horrors of World War II, but also to provide a basis for future development. A disregard for these rights will just continue to encourage and show forth new forms of domination, totalitarianism, and imperialism, he says. This is confirmed by the experience of history. That's John Paul II's claim. As he lived it, understood it, and from the vantage point of being a Polish philosopher, a Polish bishop, 
what we see is how the narrow interest of a party or a self-interested group refuse to consider the common good and the dignity of others. John Paul II knew that a mere listing of rights or an overly legalistic approach is not what we need. This section is even called Human Rights, the Spirit and the Letter. We need the letter of rights, but even more deeply, that dignity of the person and, hu and human flourishing. The spirit of rights, he thinks, will come in some way to be supported by the gospel, as was taught by Jacques Maritain. These fundamental rights should surely include the right to political participation, to prevent one group from imposing power on others and social awareness among groups of workers, families, and religious groups that gives rise to solidarity should be respected and taken into account with each regime, as the Solidarity Workers' Movement in Poland proved to be so fruitful and its right to exist was denied by the communist authorities. Authority itself is derived from the common good. That is the teaching of the church, the teaching of Thomas Aquinas, which John Paul II applies here. The common good is the measure. And if citizens are sure of their rights, that will help to realize the common good. Well, the critics of picking up the notion of rights fear that we will just slide down into that vague or wrong-headed notion of liberty, which leads to self-degradation. This notion of rights goes back to Hobbes and Locke, who lowered the goal of political society and appealed to self-interest and could not get beyond a hedonistic account of human flourishing and ethics. But rights can also be developed on the basis of the noble and intrinsic good of moral life. The first theorist had a radical individualism cutting off the individual from social life and wanted to protect simply property. But again, John Paul's account of human rights looks to the person in community and says that human rights are a fundamental principle for any work for man's welfare. They must be measured against the common good in human flourishing and not to be an excuse for selfishness or widespread degradation. In other philosophical works, he explains this with more depth. That's why he doesn't define in this document explicitly the notion of right, but he says it's subjective and inviolable. So we know it's based on natural law. That's the teaching of the 20th century Thomist. It supports the dignity of the person. I would propose this definition. A right is an exigency or claim that emanates from a self for something as being his due. 
which exigency or claim other selves are morally obligated to recognize and respect, promote, and not frustrate. I take this from Jacques Maritain and Joe Evans. Right and duty are correlative. The moral claim from natural law must be recognized by social and political order. It's derived from natural law, and natural law is derived and protects human flourishing. Or we can think of Tocqueville's notion that right is the idea of virtue applied to politics. That is the spirit of rights as John Paul II speaks of it here. So I would say this purpose, the welfare of the person and community, does not proceed on the basis of individualism or the priority of property and self-interest. But it's the use of rights to stimulate action precisely for solidarity among all people and to encourage and protect the true flourishing of the person. And certainly the idea of a right to participate in the political community is a great theme of Gaudium et Spes. So, again, I think the critics of John Paul II perhaps misunderstand how he understands rights. And while they are right to say that there are those that, that one can confuse the message of the gospel by using the discourse on rights, I think that's where we need to look to John Paul II as a model and guide who used rights discourse in light of its proper basis, always with a view to the purpose of the person in community. But I think most of all we have to see how this use of rights discourse will be used for the development of mankind at large, and most of all, call on the common good to defend these objective and inviolable rights. But I would say, perhaps, the most important point is to see the order of rights. It's not a laundry list. There's a clear priority, particularly the right of conscience and the freedom of religion. John Paul II in this section mentions dignitatis humanae, that the right to conscience and religious freedom has a theological and philosophical basis. And he speaks from experience as a pastor and leader. And of course, as the Pope from a distant country, Poland, when he says, quote, certainly the curtailment of the religious freedom of individuals and communities is not only a painful experience, but it is above all an attack on man's very dignity, independently of the religion professed, or of the concept of the world which these individuals and communities have." End of quote. He speaks from experience. He speaks as a pastor. This curtailment and violation of religious freedom are in contrast to man's dignity and objective rights. So John Paul II says that dignitatis humanae 
stands against this violation as a radical injustice to what is particularly deep within man and what is authentically human. That's John Paul II explaining why right should be part of this encyclical Redemptor Hominus. What is authentically human? What is deepest in man? In our next lecture, we will see how deep is the right to conscience. So actuation of this right is the fundamental test of any progress in any regime, any society, any system or milieu, he says in this section 17. A very strong commitment to rights. In Poland, of course, he saw that only atheism had rights of citizenship and religious people are consigned to a second-class status. In the West, liberty is now threatened by being marginalized or the rights of conscience denied, as we've recently seen in the new health care system. So again, he ends this important section admitting it's a brief treatment, but that he has a right and duty to speak out on rights, especially on religious freedom. The church asks for no special privilege, he says, but only a respect for an elementary right, the freedom to act, to preach, and to live as Catholics. That was a watchword of his pontificate and developed throughout the whole time. Now, I would just say a few words about how this developed through his pontificate. Ten years later, he wrote about the outbreak of World War II and returned to this theme. And he said, it's our duty before God to remember the tragic events, to honor the dead, but even more to learn from the past so never again will there arise a set of factors capable of triggering a similar conflagration and learn from these depths of inhumanity and suffering. The root factors, he said, were contempt for law, for man, and for God. These attitudes opened up a moral abyss. There was the abandonment of all reference to God and all transcendent moral law. That's from John Paul II's reflection on World War II. Abandonment of law, transcendent law, that is what he means by objective moral law. He said you could detect evil in the seduction of conscience through the falsehood and scorn for law. In the attitude of pr proud self-sufficiency, he said, closed man off from God in the moral order, which is attenuated now, today, because science and technology tempt us to think of mankind as the sole master of nature and history, and erase God in his image from man's horizon. That's what led to World War II, and its roots are deep into the 19th century and the beginning of the modern era. The danger lurks that man will hand himself over to the power of man. And the solution is the rediscovery of God, for God and respect for man go hand in hand. That is the principle of peace. And respect for man, that is, rights, is, must be based upon respect for God, the transcendence of man. So in light of these historic experiences, 
the massive scope of the violation of religious freedom has made it critical for the church to defend itself against these attacks. And that's where the discourse on human rights is very important for the Pope to use. So that this idea that the state can coerce conscience should be replaced by a recognition of the rights of conscience which is bound only to truth, natural and revealed. And it's the foundation of every authentically free order. That is in centesimo sanus. Freedom of religion pertains to the in intimate spirit, sphere of the spirit. And that's why it's a measure for all other rights. You see that priority. The list of rights must be measured by respect for truth, integral humanism, and most of all, the right for conscience, the transcendence of the human person towards God. And he's now can, he then became very concerned or expressed that right ceases to be right if it's not based in the dignity of the person, but is subject to the will of the stronger part it becomes a form of totalitarianism. That's what he saw developing in the West. He called it a tyrant state because of abortion and euthanasia, because they arrogate a right to dispose of the life of its weakest members, even though there is a legality and a use of rights discourse. It contradicts the spirit of rights and the foundation of rights the very democratic ideal, he says, must acknowledge and safeguard the dignity of every human person, or else we betray it at its very foundation. So later he really attacked this alliance of relativism and democracy that we see in the West today, that allows a majority to decree it, it's legal to kill the unborn or the elderly, or the infirmed. So yes, he supports democracy, but he says not to make an idol of it or a substitute for morality. It's conscience that must be formed for our moral backbone. It's the right of religion, which must be the focus of the church's concern, not just for the right of the church to operate, but for the very dignity of the human person. And that's why he said there is still a great groundswell of support for respect around the world for freedom of conscience. But we have to continue to explain its basis in the dignity of the person, the role and nature of conscience so that on the basis of personal convictions, each person is led to form convictions about the transcendent, about God, and about right and wrong, and live by the truth, and be free to live by those convictions insofar as it's harmonious with the common good. This respect for conscience and the special formation provided by religious groups is a foundation for his encyclical Centesimo Sanus, 
And I would say that this is why John Paul II in the encyclical Redemptor Hominus would devote an entire section at the end of this particular part of Redemptor Hominus concerning redeemed man and his situation in the world. Rights, as I said, are not the first or the last thing we need to say about recovering the dignity of the human person. But it is a very, it has a very important role to play in the church's presence in the world and gives it the means to express its concern and to form conscience. Religious freedom continues to be a theme because these old forms of totalitarianism are not completely vanquished. And in some countries that promote utilitarian values, there's a loss of respect for the true values of human existence. And yet in other countries, new forms of fundamentalism openly deny citizens of other faiths the exercise of their civil and religious rights. So that's why he says that no authentic progress is possible without respect for the right to know the truth and to live according to the truth. Even if briefly, he said, he's dealt with this. It is something that gives evidence of the degree to which the modern world is overburdened by prejudices and injustices and this discourse on rights is important to deal with those who are suffering the torments of discrimination and persecution for the name of God. And he says, we're guided by faith in the redeeming power of the cross of Christ. And I appeal in the name of believers throughout the world that social and political life depends upon a respect for the rights of conscience as an elementary right, and actuation of this right is a fundamental test of progress in any regime, any society, or program. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.